0: Found your host. We are broadcasting from Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America, where we are now enjoying two inches of snow on top of yesterday's inch of snow. This too shall pass. Hey, um, before we launch into our conversation here, I want to take a second to thank a couple of our local business partners. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe, that's my grocery store. And you can get uh, breakfast there on the weekends. And seven days a week, you can still get lunch and supper through their takeout service. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Noche Jazz and Cabaret, located just south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Noche is open for concerts, and you can also live stream those concerts. We've been to a couple. They're doing a really great job, folks, of appropriate social distancing. That's Noche Jazz and Cabaret. All right, so welcome to the program again. Ed Fallon with you here broadcasting from America's heartland, now America's uh, slightly snow-covered heartland. This one came a little bit early. Hey, uh, later in the program, we'll be talking with the uh, the Goldman brothers, doctors Charles and Stephen. We're going to take a look at the history of fascism and then discuss the question of whether America could be headed in the direction of fascism. We'll also be talking with Maria Filippone about uh, Joe Biden's comments about uh, Israel, where he praised Trump for negotiating an agreement between Israel, Bahrain, and the United Arab Emirates. We'll talk about that. We'll also talk with Kathy Burns about food security and why you should care. But first, in this week's uh, climate update, I want to talk about President Trump's deadly rollbacks. Now, there's a great film just out. Uh, Miriam Kashi brought it to my attention. It's called Rollbacks An Assault Against Life on Earth. Yeah, I know that's a, a sobering title. And the film itself is pretty sobering. It kicks off with this, um, this harrowing scene of a man and his son trying to drive through this deadly California wildfire early this year. And you really don't know if they're going to make it. And I really don't know if they did make it. Uh, and you know, and we go from that to the hurricanes hitting the Gulf. Um, well, we've had just, we just had our 26th named storm in the Atlantic, Tropical Storm Epsilon, the record is 28 named storms back in 2005. No other hurricane season has broken 20. And we've done 26 already. We'll see. So um, the film goes on to show some of the devastation caused by last year's Midwestern floods. and uh, But there's a particularly heart-wrenching story about a farmer in uh, central Nebraska, Mike uh, Kaminsky. He raises cattle, and his cattle... Uh, he, his farm was, they'd never seen it flood uh, like this. And that cyclone, what would they call it? Bomb cyclone hit that area. And literally you see this video footage of his cows being swept away. It, it's heartbreaking. Uh, cows and calves, all but one of his cows perished in that, in that cyclone. And then, of course, um, we pan from what's really happening to President Trump, uh, who continues to live in some la-la land, um, and he is proudly announcing that he's pulling the U.S. out of the Paris Climate Accord. And then the whole film is kind of a juxtaposition of these um, moments when Trump is rolling back regulations and the stuff that's really happening to real people. And the next group of real people we meet is this poor family who live next to a coal-fired power plant. Now, the mom who's being interviewed in this segment, she um, most of her kids have asthma. Uh, and then she goes on to list all the people in her family and in the neighborhood around this coal-fired power plant who have died of cancer. Yeah, and then back to Trump, who, you know, calls Obama's clean power plant, which again is targeted at coal-fired power plants, he calls it, quote, a crushing attack on American industry. And Trump goes on to say, quote, we are lifting the ban on federal leasing for coal production and are lifting job-killing restrictions on fossil fuels. You know, Trump cares not for this family or the other people in that poor community who are suffering from asthma and cancer. And of course, he cares nothing for the impact on our climate. Now, I, you know, and, and I for one firmly believe that President Obama could have done and should have done a lot more to address the climate crisis. And the film, we'll, 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 we'll let it go. It focuses just on the good stuff that Obama did, and that's, that's okay. It talks about, in addition to what I've already mentioned, about the doubling of the fuel efficiency standard to 54 miles per gallon by 2025. That's, that's significant. And, of course, what did, what did Trump do in 2017? He rolled that back. He also rolled back limits on methane emissions. And he rolled back the Endangered Species Act. You know, I, and his, his quote uh, on that is just incredible. He says, quote, there's a highway not far away from where he's giving this talk and the road was dead straight. So if you had a rough night, you know, now 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 that's a problem. And he says something else. He goes on to say, now because of different things nesting, who knows what's nesting? And now the road ends up being twice as long and curving like hell. And unless you're 100% sharp, you're in deep trouble. You know, and so beyond the... Um, The callousness about other species that that, quote, embodies, what does it say about the president's concerns about drunk driving? I mean, basically, he's saying, you know, if you had a rough night, meaning if you've drank too much, and apparently, unless unless you're, quote, 100% sharp, you're in deep trouble. Well, you know what? If you're not 100% sharp, you shouldn't be driving. I mean, the fact that he gets away with saying things like that astounds me. So, of course, Trump is also um, rolling back regulations on drilling for oil and gas on public land. Um, he's also, <laughs> this one is close to home, um, authorized, reauthorized uh, the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline and the Dakota Access pipeline. And uh, he has opened up all 19 million acres of the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to mining and drilling. There are about a hundred regulatory rollbacks affecting the environment and climate that President Trump has either completed or is in the process of completing. And again, some of what he's doing with these, um, with these uh, leases on public land, he's trying to speed that up and get as much of that done as possible before the election. Now, Carl Davenport, maybe some of you are familiar with her. She's a writer with the New York Times. And she had this to say in the film, and I quote, I quote extensively, It's not surprising that the Trump administration is going after another set of climate change regulations. President Trump campaigned on this, on helping the oil and gas industry. What is surprising and interesting is how effectively and efficiently they are doing these regulatory rollbacks. So much of this administration's policy agenda is dysfunctional or chaotic, whereas the moves to roll back these regulations... They're being done correctly. They're going through the right channels, quietly, and under the radar, and this piece of the policy agenda is chugging along and making a difference. That's her quote, and she's right. You know, we all focus on Crazy Uncle Donald's most recent and most bizarre tweet. Meanwhile, he is eviscerating environmental regulations. Now, but if he does get another four-year term, he and the Republicans are going to have a problem because more and more people are taking the climate crisis seriously. So, you know, a few years back, the White House set up a panel to counter the consensus on climate change, which is insane. And it was headed by Bill Happer, who I believe is either insane or totally bought off by the industry. Happer actually believes, and he says this, that carbon dioxide is good. (laughs) He's not just a denier. He likes CO2. Now, the film doesn't get into this, but, you know, maybe you remember, folks, that Happer resigned from that post in 2019, largely because Trump's advisors saw him as a potential liability to re-election. I mean, the, the guy was so off the rails, he even, compared, he even compared attacks on fossil fuel usage to, and I quote, the demonization of the poor Jews under Hitler. So, you know, understand this. You know, Trump's handlers know that public sentiment on climate change is increasingly with the scientific consensus. What that tells me is we are making progress. The public is waking up. There is solid public acceptance of the urgency of climate change, and more and more people are beginning to vote with climate on their minds. So, yeah, see the film, Rollback, An Assault Against Life on Earth. Not an easy film to see, but an important one. There's so much more I could talk about. I mean, here we have Judge Amy Coney Barrett, who is probably going to be confirmed to the Supreme Court. And we have Harris very cleverly getting her to admit that she considers climate change a controversial issue. You know, she accepts that cigarettes cause cancer, that the coronavirus is infectious. Now, that could come back to... (laughs) That's not going to come... I mean, she's still going to be confirmed. And what this says to me is we're looking at a Supreme Court that could be as bad as the Supreme Court was 100 years ago when they were overturning uh, minimum wage laws, child labor laws, and other regulations uh, that corporate interests found restrictive. Now, the, the, Harris should have had a follow I mean, I mean, I she did a great job. But Kamala Harris should have probably had a follow-up question. And I'm going I'm to quote Pat Burns on this, who says, quote, Society does not decide scientific questions, for example... If 5% of the general public believe that the Earth is flat, this does not make belief in a flat Earth 5% true, or 5% likely, or true 5% of the time. The scientific community expertly interprets the best available evidence, not public opinion polls, to decide what is good science. And that's a quote from a scientist, from Pat Burns. So back to the film. In closing, the narrator you know, with for some reason a British accent, I never understood that, says, quote, these are extraordinary times. Preventing runaway global warming is the single most important task in all of human history, and it has fallen on on us to do it. If we don't, then everything else we've worked to achieve in our lives will be destroyed or become meaningless. Those who came before us didn't know about this problem, and those who come after will be powerless to do anything about it. But for us, there is still time. We better get a move on, though. And finally, from Greta Thunberg, at the very end of the film, quote, we are now standing at a crossroads in history. We are failing, but we have not yet failed. There is still time to fix this. It's up to us. So yeah, great film, folks. See it. Rollbacks. And also, while you're, to- while you're-, while you're watching it, think about your vote in the upcoming election and think about up and down the ballot, Who can you support that understands the urgency of the moment and will make a difference when it comes to policy? All right, I'll be back in a minute, folks. This is Ed Fallon, your host here, Dr. Charles and Dr. Stephen Goldman, joining us in the next couple segments of our program as we take a historic look at fascism and then discuss fascism's relevance to the current political situation here in the U.S. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
1: It's important to know where your food comes from. At Hawk Restaurant, that's easy because 90% comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. At East 5th and Walnut Street... Hawk is open Monday through Saturday for dine in, patio seating, curbside pickup, and carry out. Hawk also serves fantastic breakfast wraps with 100% of the ingredients from Iowa, except for the salt and pepper. Learn more at Hawktable.com. That's H O Q table.com.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Form again, Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Say thanks to our local business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store, and a great place for breakfast, lunch, and supper. They are still closed in terms of the cafe, but the takeout service is going full steam ahead. Takeout for lunch and dinner seven days a week, and breakfast, or call it brunch if you will, on the weekends. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Architecture by Synthesis where they've got 30 years of experience specializing in cutting-edge and environmentally-friendly designs, including these super-insulated structures made from grain bins. That's architecture by synthesis. All right, later in the program, Maria Philippone, Philippone rather, joining us to talk about uh, kind of the debrief, Joe Biden's comments on Israel and Trump during the debate. And we'll then hear from Kathy Burns. We'll be talking about food security and why you should care. But at this point, I'd love to welcome to the program the Brothers Goldman, Drs. Charles and Dr. Stephen. Hey, guys, welcome.
2: Hey, how's it going?
0: It's going all right. Great to be here. We're going to talk about fascism, and let's break it up this way. You know, I I think it's really, really important that people get a sense of the history of fascism before we talk about what risk we might be at here in the U.S. So, um, Stephen, I know you you both have a lot to say on this topic, but I know, Stephen, you've got some professional background on the subject. Why don't you kick it off? Fascism 101, where does this start?
3: Uh, Well, um, I don't know if you know that my brother was a um, philosophy major.
0: I won't hold out against him.
3: (laughs) uh, Charles, do you want to start with Plato's Republic?
0: (laughs) I was wondering if one of you might bring up Plato's Republic.
2: Well, no, I think it's really interesting (laughs) because um, it's a term... Fascism is a term that's thrown around a lot, and it does encompass a lot of different meanings. And even among the historian community, there's a lot of uh, dispute as to what it truly is. And, uh, you know, Plato's Republic was essentially an elitocracy. And there's an element of fascism which would endorse uh, an elitocracy. And I-, I think for most people, what we associate fascism with was its. Uh, expression in pre-World War II Italy uh, under Mussolini, in which you had an uh, ultra-nationalist one-party authoritarian uh, rule with the state, uh, you know, exerting influence over the economy and all other facets of uh, life in Italy at the time. Um, And it usually is, is, is sold to the populace as an ultra nationalist right, uh, I- ideology, I think that's an important thing when we talk about fascism in the United States. Which is that in the United States, fascism is just the opposite. It's corporate fascism in the sense that the corporate entities are trying to control the government, but they're using the same tools of fascism.
0: Well, I, I don't want to. St- I want to stick up for Plato for a second here, because I mean, Plato's—I fa- wouldn't even call it fascism, but I know. I know that charge has been levied, but. Um, Basically, well,
3: and it's it's and it's a corruption of of Plato. Well, yeah, where, but Plato Pl- Pl- Pl-
0: Pl- Plato thought that yeah he thought that that smart people should be in charge, which is really distinct from people with lots of guns or some other type of political power or corporations. So you know, it may not be what we call dem- democracy, but I, I don't think it's I, I don't think what Plato believed in was anything resembling like the fascism we've seen in Europe, and now that we're concerned about here in no. the U.S.
3: I, w- I think we're simply trying to say that fascism, although formally started and formally established as an entity under the Mussolini, the, the, the roots of it are certainly not from the, the 19th or the 20th century. They go deeper than that. And I think the elements that have to be looked at, and get, Charles is absolutely right, there's an ultra-nationalism, there's a playbook here, which... God help us, we're seeing, being played out right now. And um, the elements include um, always someone being perceived as the cause. It's usually the Jews. Uh, Sorry, guys. Well, but it's true. Yeah, well. And uh, when we talk about the United States in the 1930s, including a famous speech made by an alleged American hero in Des Moines, Iowa, which became one of the most notorious speeches in relation to that.
0: And what um, was that?
3: Charles Lindbergh. Ah,
0: right.
3: but there, are, but the the playbook that you see, and again, what's interesting is with Mussolini's fascist state was actually not anti-Semitic up until um, the arrangements he made with Hitler. You know, it became reversed. Hitler admired Mussolini, and then he essentially took over in relation to that. But I think that the elements we need to look at. Are World War I being the seeds of not just fascism in Italy and later Germany, but frankly also in the United States? There was a marvelous documentary on PBS uh, during the past year focusing on what happened in the United States during World War I and under Woodrow Wilson's administration, and the suppression of freedoms in the United States during World War I were ghastly, including Eugene Debs being imprisoned for years.
0: Right, and he was the uh, socialist candidate for president at one point?
3: You know, yeah, he, he literally ran for president. He got the most votes ever uh, from jail. What happened to African Americans, and again, cheek by jowl with that, um, in relation to how they were suppressed when they came home, as we can talk about. But if you want to go back to what would what would not be called fascism, but was certainly the elements of this, was what happened during Reconstruction the 1860s, which we're seeing playing out yet again with voter suppression, with redeemer governments and what happened in relation to that. And the the classic example, if you want to read one of the finest books about that, is Charles Lane's book called When Freedom Died about the Colfax Massacre. And again, this was 1873 when over 150 African-Americans and their supporters in Louisiana were slaughtered when they tried to vote and tried to establish uh, the government in Louisiana. Okay, so but later went,
2: Well, you know, it, it's interesting, I mean fascism is really kind of a bastardization of multiple right political philosophies because absolutely its ultimate goal is basically communistic, which is central authority, central yes. planning. And but without, it, without it, the sharing. It, weirdly so. Weirdly, though, it's considered anti-communist. It's right, anti-communist right, with right. all the roots in both and, of those countries. Right. In Germany, it's in anti-liberal, the world. and it's also anti-conservative, in a true conservative sense, not the conservatives we now have on the right. You know, it's considered an extreme right-wing philosophy, but it actually is is a philosophy of governing which could fit any political philosophy you want. And it is, in a sense—it's funny you talk about Plato, because it it was just what the president said yesterday— Look what would have happened if I listened to the scientists. It is a overtly anti-elitist,
0: anti-intellectual, seemingly
2: way right. of government.
0: Anti-intellectual. Right.
3: Yeah. And it goes against other things that we're talking about. But the threats, and again, Ed, I think, and we'll, and we'll link this to what we're seeing now. The threats are violence, uh, a designated scapegoat, centralization of power in a corrupt government, suppression of freedom in the newspapers and other forms of media, taking over the court systems. Does this sound familiar?
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I think, and I think when people think, when, when people in America think about fascism, maybe some, very few think about Plato. Some will think about Mussolini or about, uh, about, about, um, about Spain. But, yeah, right, thank you, Franco. But some will also think about, most think about Hitler. Most of it focuses on what happened in Nazi Germany. And I guess that's you know I mean that's the that's the question on people's minds is you know do we see enough parallels with what happened in Nazi Germany and how did Hitler go from being so you know marginalized to being the tyrannical leader of a, of a country that was beaten and then became the most powerful country in Europe?
3: All right, again, bear in mind that Hitler's party never held a majority. Don't forget there were two elections in 1932. They never received more than 32 percent of the vote. The second election they lost seats to by the way the Communist Party and the Socialist Party, the true socialist party. So what does he do? They burn the Reichstag. Right. And suddenly and that's you. when they seize power. Again. But he, he was abetted he was abetted by the industrialists who
2: thought they could control they him. They they could control him, that is correct. And and that is the that is the uh, Situation we have here in the United States now, which is everything including the you know the farce of of Amy Coney Barrett's uh, You know hearings is about corporate control of the government Which is now unbridled because of citizens United and other decisions that have been made predominantly in the courts and and the lack of conscience on the part of any of the legislators to do anything but continue to want to just be in the legislature so it, the analogous situation is, you know, the the Republican conservatives thought, well, we can control Trump and we'll get everything done we want. Well, now look where we are. And that's essentially what happened in Nazi Germany.
3: Well, there were, there were other extraordinary circumstances. They also – because as we we're talking about.
2: Well, there was, they, there was yeah, profound inflation and economic – they were in the midst of the Depression. And that's another thing. Yes. You know, they, yes, they, 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 they hate FDR so much, but if it weren't for FDR – this country could have easily gone the same way in the 30s that Nazi Germany went. The, way, the fact what, that F- the FDR was not
3: that, that kind of populist. Hey, Donald is, Trump doesn't know enough history to realize the irony here of using the term "America first.
0: <laughs> I know, right? Hey, I got to take a short um, break, gentlemen. Um, let me let me let me pick up from that theme as we come back. When sure. we come back, we'll we'll talk more about uh, exactly what we what we fear might be a risk of uh, a slide into fascism here in this country. Uh, this is uh, Ed Fallon here, folks, with Dr. Charles Goldman and Dr. Stephen Goldman, uh, back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer catering and floral services are also available the cafe is open for carryout and delivery daily gateway market is centrally located at ml king parkway and woodland ave stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details gateway market good food great community noche is the premier home in des moines for jazz and cabaret with its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas-Findley. Every Wednesday night, you can enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche also offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. Noche on Walnut Street, south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Tuning in today, folks. This is Ed Fallon. A quick shout out to our local nonprofit supporters of this program. Thanks to Bold Iowa, fighting climate change and the Dakota Access Pipeline since 2015. Check out boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, where you can learn how to turn your yard into dinner. Go to BirdsBeesUrbanFarm.org. All right. Let to welcome uh, Dr. Charles Goldman and Dr. Stephen Goldman back to the program. The Goldman brothers, no relation to Goldman Sachs. We've been discussing uh, fascism. We wouldn't
2: be a- doing the podcast if we were related to Goldman Sachs. I
0: wouldn't Why have be you on. To keep saying this? <laughs> <laughs> so we've been taking a look at the history of fascism. Somehow, I knew one of you would take us back to Plato. But um, again, there's a lot—a lot in Europe, Europe's history that is relevant, and you know—and and I know people are looking at, are looking at the current moment, and looking at Donald Trump, and some of what has happened in our country in the last—not just four years, but in the last eight to twelve years, maybe since the Patriot Act. But I know, um, yeah. Stephen, you have some thoughts about uh, looking back even further for some additional clarity.
3: Yeah, I mean, because again, the use of the term "America first and for. A man who known those, knows his no history, he wouldn't know this, but um, the, the isolationists. I mean, there were, two, there were two entities in the United States before World War II. One was the German American Bund, the American Nazi Party, culminating in a 20,000 person attendance at Madison Square Garden that our grandfathers told us about.
0: Right, right. And in
3: 1941, in September 41, actually, believe it or not, September 11th, 1941. Lindbergh made an infamous speech in Des Moines in which he blamed the British, the Jews, and, the, and Roosevelt for pressuring for the war and noted that the Jews were the greatest danger to this country because of their large ownership and influence in our motion pictures, our press, our radio, and our government. Again, sound familiar. Yeah. Wendell Wilkie, the um, nominee for Republican nominee, called it the most un-American talk, Made in his time by any man of national reputation. If this doesn't resound with what's going on right now, I don't know what does. Yeah, so- it's the same themes. It's the same us versus them. It's the same call to arms, if you will. In relation, well, to- even
2: even the QAnon, you know conspiracy Absolutely. theory is just bringing up the old libel, the blood libel, the blood libel from the elders of Zion. That well, again, which is the fountainhead of European anti-Semitism.
3: Right. Funded by, uh, uh, you know, people associated with Lindbergh and, of course, Henry Ford. Mm-hmm. And let's not forget that for several years in the 30s, every Sunday on national radio, we had the talks of Father Coughlin, Oh, yeah. For the Shrine of Little Flower, Right, right. Which were, I mean, just, just vehement, racist, vehement anti-Semitism. Again, the same, the same accusations about control of the media. And this hasn't
4: gone away. But, course, but, 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 we have- but a
0: big difference between today uh, and, and the, in the US 60, 70 years ago and in Nazi Germany is the Jews are no longer the ones being demonized. There have to, I mean, for any, any kind of a slide into fascism or, or any kind of other totalitarian government, you've got to have some, somebody you demonize. And well, they, they there, were, there they, are plenty of other demons. There were other
2: people, there were other people demonized in Nazi, yeah. Nazi Germany. Right. Right. Gypsies and others were put in the concentration camps, too. Right. So
3: homosexuals. right? Um, it, it's um, oftentimes
2: the same crowd.
3: Right. But I not, mean, Ed, let, let's face this. This is also about the other. Don't forget you had a State Department which refused to allow Jews to flee to come to the United States. That right. sounds familiar? Yeah. About closing the borders, that's an issue. Now, of course, it's predominantly Muslims in relation to that. This is the same playbook.
0: Yeah. But again, it's, it's more, the, 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 the attacks are more against Muslims, against Native Americans, against blacks, against poor people in general, and to some extent against women.
3: The all part and parcel of the same thing. I do want to point out uh, that there's been more anti-Semitic attacks in the United States than ever over the last two years. I don't think that's an accident.
0: Okay. Yeah. But anyway, we do, see, we do see some of these same trend lines forming. And um, yep. I have you know, I, I, another, another uh, an, an, an ally whose uh, opinions I value said that uh, he feels, you know, the, the discussion about whether or not America will become fascist is almost missing the boat. He says enough stuff is already in place that you could already call what we have now kind of fascism light. And he refers to the Patriot Act. Um, surveillance uh, that have gone even deeper than that, um, the a vast increase in, in uh, the militarization of our police force. He points to all those, to the concentration of ownership of our media. Uh, he points to all those things as elements of fascism that you can't blame on Donald Trump. A lot of that stuff has been in place for quite a while.
2: No, well, you're, absolutely, you're absolutely right. And it goes back to what I said about the 30s. The 30s had all the same characteristics, Including now, a, you know, our recession slash depression, and the only reason it took a different turn was the nature of leadership, and you know, unfortunately, FDR saved capitalism, and at the same time saved us from becoming a totalitarian state because he, that was not his makeup or those around him. But now we have the same scenario as my brother points out: essentially, the same playbook with just different characters playing the other, um, and uh this is a you have an amoral leader who's just a pool of people for whom they think they can make money off of fascist uh regimes
3: well i think there's also two other elements and ed i want i want to harken back to what you just said um you also have a disinformation campaign
0: right yep
3: and which i mean I, and and guys you know me i'm not someone prone to hyperbole you listen to the rhetoric you listen to the way Press conferences are done at the White House. You close your eyes. This is literally in line with what you heard in Nazi Germany in 1933 in relation to the the Office of Propaganda, in the um, taking over the media, in, in, in saying that anything that went against the party line could not possibly be true. I mean, take a look at the polls about who believes what the media is saying. And by the way, Charles, there are some differences here, which I must point out. We still have a free media, and with 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 all the, all the problems you may have, in the mainstream media. I think they've done a marvelous job in many ways in holding the administration to account. That's one aspect. Secondly, you have you have an independent judiciary. That's not to be. That's not to be, uh, in any way. Um, forgotten here the well, courts in germany were taken over by the government well that's happening that's that's government. happening
0: right now i mean not just with the yeah, supreme course, court but, that's
3: why i'm making that point oh, okay but trump has lost almost every case unless they go to the now the now appeals court composed predominantly of his own appointment yeah the
2: appellate's court the appellate well, court is a problem but that's what the reality is
0: right
3: right Of that, course, yeah. that's terrifying because we've not seen this before
0: let me ask you. Let me ask you both two questions. And, and Charles, you take a crack at it first, I suppose. Uh, two questions. First, if Trump is reelected, what is the risk of America becoming a full-fledged fascist regime?
2: Well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stuck with the idea that fascism has become kind of a catch-all. Um, I don't believe that you'll see the total abolition of what we consider our traditional rights. But I think that we will take on um, even more of an authoritarian character. Uh, the media will become much more monolithic. Uh, we've already accepted a huge amount of corruption as the norm. And, and the, the sedative to the American public is as long as there's stuff to buy in the stores, they don't really care. As long as, as, long as there's gas in the uh, gas pumps and there's stuff to buy in the stores, they'll probably tolerate any authoritarianism. In fact, there's interesting data showing that younger people
3: are much more inclined toward authoritarianism.
0: Stephen, same question.
3: Unfortunately, and you know I always believe in learning from history, for some reason, it's always the people who tend to be on the right side of things that aren't motivated to truly fight until it becomes desperate. The only reason we had a civil war was the North finally called the bluff of the South, which they never expected them to do. The United States finally entered the war in 1941 because they were attacked in relation. Let's not forget that. And the things that we're seeing now, people are talking about the Supreme Court now only because the seat was open, ignoring what had gone on for the 30 years before. It confounds me about that. I am not, as, I am not quite as pessimistic as my brother because there's a fact that you guys are not considering, this, I must mention, and that's the military. The military has not been taken over by a totalitarian government.
0: Well, I would say elements of it are in control, in Trump's control. Not all of it, but elements of it.
3: Well, but you know that, you look, you've read the same stuff I've And read. bikers for Trump, Trump too.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. but I'm
3: also seeing signs, more and more, veterans against Trump, veterans for Biden. They're recognizing, how many times have we heard they take an oath to the Constitution not to... An individual and the question is if he tries to use the National Guard in the elections they've always made it abundantly clear I mean the choice the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff literally stated that they have no place in an election that is very different than what happened in Nazi Germany
0: so let me ask you a final question with just a minute and a half to go here sure. if uh, if Joe Biden wins the election does that put the kibosh completely on the risk of sliding into fascism Or does that merely tone it down a bit or delay it?
3: Can I take that one, Charles? Go ahead. Sure. No, the answer is no. And I like Joe Biden. I think he's naïve on being able to work across the aisle. I hope this doesn't continue. I hope he realizes that this government must change, as we talked about two weeks ago. I think that if Biden becomes president without the Senate changing, is a very different scenario than the, than the Senate going Democratic. Oh, wouldn't
0: you agree, Charles? And Charles, yeah, we'll I give, you, mean, we'll give you the last word on this. Charles,
3: control of the Senate is much more critical.
2: Yeah,
0: but you don't, you don't, you don't see uh, a Biden presidency as having any impact on the continued slide to fascism, or do you see it
2: putting the brakes? On oh it? oh I, I no, do. I mean I think it does, but you know the problem is going to be that they're setting up the Democrats. To fail, just like they do every time, by bankrupting the country and then yelling and screaming when they uh, have to tax people to actually pay the bills, right. um, you know. And it, it's the progressive program is going to be very difficult to implement until we get out of the economic straits we're in, and also control the pandemic, which are both intertwined, of course.
0: Gentlemen, thanks but for yeah. joining us. Um, I, I got to run to a break, uh, folks. We've been talking with uh, Dr. Stephen Goldman and his brother, Dr. Charles Goldman, uh, the brothers Goldman. Thanks for joining us, guys.
3: A uh, pleasure. Hopefully we'll continue
0: this. Yeah, well, there's plenty to talk about, and always, I mean, this is an ever-moving target as well. Hey, when we come back from a short break, folks, Maria Philippone is going to join us. We're going to be talking about uh, uh, Joe Biden's comment, a uh, favorable comment about Donald Trump regarding Trump's uh, negotiation of a pact between Israel, Bahrain, and the United Arab Emirates. Is it a good idea? Bad idea? We'll talk about it when we come back on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is your locally owned grocery and specialty food store. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Catering and floral services are also available. The cafe is open for carry-out and delivery daily. Gateway Market is centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
1: At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant, well, if you've got an elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Dr. Kim Holding a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Again, Ed Fallon with you here, folks, broadcasting from America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa, the cultural and culinary crossroads of America. And Thanks to uh, our local business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store. And using their takeout service, you can have lunch and dinner every day of the week, seven days a week. On the weekends, you can also get uh, breakfast or brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Hawk Restaurant. That's H-O-Q, Hawk Restaurant where 90% of the food served, even in the middle of the winter, comes from Iowa farms and Iowa producers. That's Hawk Restaurant. All right, welcome back to the program. Joining us for this segment of the show is Maria Philippone, who is uh, our, a local expert here in Des Moines on the uh, Israeli-Palestinian situation, and she has traveled to uh, to Gaza oh, many times. Now, um, I wanted to include Maria in this conversation because I was um, I was taken by uh, Joe Biden's comment at the last, well, it wasn't a debate. It was the separate forums. He was asked about the president's uh, track record on foreign policy. And he had plenty of critical things to say. But he he, he said, and I quote, I do compliment the president on the deal with Israel recently. He was referring, of course, to the deal negotiated between Israel, the United Arab Emirates, and Bahrain. Maria, welcome to the program.
4: Thank you for having me.
0: Yeah, and your your take, I mean, is that agreement, is that um, treaty, if we can call it that, a good thing or a bad thing from the perspective of the Palestinians?
4: Well, that depends on who you talk to. I do want to go back and say I'm not an expert on Israel-Palestine and and the conflict. Um, I do travel to Gaza and work in Gaza, so I do have a lot of firsthand Um, information from my work there, but by no means do I think I'm an expert.
0: (laughs) Okay, fair enough.
4: (laughs) I just wanted to make that clear. Thank you, though. You were very generous. Um, It depends on who you talk to. The um, Arab world since 1967 has, you know, been hand-in-hand in their agreement of not normalizing relations with Israel until Palestinians have their own state um, and or have basic human rights. So it depends on on who you talk to if this is a good deal or not. Um, the UAE and Bahrain went ahead and made this deal with, you know, which was facilitated by Jared Kushner. Um, <clears throat> because they they have um, they have things to gain from it. They have, for example, the UAE over the next few weeks will be signing. An arms deal with the United States, where they'll receive lots of um, arms, including um, F-35 stealth fighters. So clearly, there was an incentive for them to do something like this. And
0: what does the United, um, what, what does the United Arab Emirates need arms for? Uh, they're they're not known noted for being involved with any conflicts. And,
4: and I, I don't know. That's a, a really good question. Hmm. Um, I guess everybody wants, you know.
0: Everybody wants, wants a gun. Arms.
4: Everybody <laughs> wants, yeah, well, you know, the same kind of power and military might that we have. But um, but the thing is, for Palestinians in Gaza and in the West Bank, um, this normalization is it's kind of a kick in the gut, but it doesn't really change their situation in their daily lives.
0: So it doesn't change their situation, but um, it kind of negates the um, core principle that has operated, that has kind of united the Arab world uh, behind the Palestinian people, and that is that you know no, you know w- without without some recognition of the of the importance of uh, Palestine Palestinians having their own homeland or at least achieving a basic level of human rights within Israel, that there should be no attempts at agreements uh, like this. So it does seem. Yep.
4: Theoretically, that's true. However, um, the two-state solution was um, Israel was never an honest broker. and They never intended to give uh, the Palestinians their own state. Um, So the two-state solution, Palestinians have known for over a decade um, that it's a joke. It's not real and, and it's not going to happen. As long as those who have power, mainly the U.S. and Israel, um, are involved, um, it's interesting though because I've been part. I, I take part in this weekly Zoom conference with Dr. Jim Zogby um, out of Washington D.C. He founded the um, Arab American Institute, um, and he's spent over 40 years in in Washington D.C. with every president in the last 40 years he's advised them on on this issue um and his he made a point of um, <clears throat> saying this <laughs> might actually push israel to um pull back on that building and might be something that um can be used internationally to hold israel accountable for human rights violations and for the apartheid state that they are. So i surface It doesn't, it's not a desirable thing for Palestinians. Um, however, unintended consequences happen all the time in this world. And who knows what an unintended consequence might be.
0: Well, okay. So, so generally speaking, I mean, I'm generally speaking, I'm, I'm a big fan of seeing countries negotiate peace agreements. And, uh, so my, my, my gut reaction would be, okay, you know, Joe Biden, I kind of agree with him. I kind of agree that this was a good thing. But, but again, with, any, with anything, you gotta, You got to look at the fine print and you got to look at the, the, the big, you know, the, how it affects the big picture. And uh, again, I think the concerns raised by, uh, I mean, I mean uh, the, the vote in the uh, Knesset on this was what, uh, 80 to 30, 80 to just 13. It was, a, it was an overwhelmingly vote in favor of the agreement. But the, um, but the uh, the Arab, uh, you know, the Arab contingency. Israelis, yeah, yeah. And
4: the Arab Israelis in the Knesset voted against
0: it. Right, and they felt totally uh, betrayed by it. Um,
4: definitely.
0: Yeah.
4: Um, I want to just make one point. This isn't, from what I can read about it, this isn't a peace agreement. It's a normalization okay, agreement, right, right. Good which point. means Good point. you know there there can be trade, there can be travel. Um, sports events can happen um in either you know country from Israel. so there's uh, you know obviously economic incentives here at work. so uh, I don't I haven't seen it referred to necessarily as a peace agreement right. more as a that was my bad
0: yeah but no no just... um,
4: and but also one thing you you need to keep in mind is that um, like I said this could be actually have unintended consequences that, benefit the Palestinians living under, you know, living as um, second, third class citizens in Israel. So this could be a good thing.
0: Okay, now, if, if I read this, this headline correctly, just shortly after that, um, that agreement was signed between Israel and the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain, um, Israel approved some new housing in the West Bank, some new settlements, which again, has been a big part of the problem in terms of encroaching on what little you know, independence and, and available land Palestinians have. So, I mean, is there any connection between that new well, settlement? Clearly
4: and- and, and, well, part of it is that the UAE called on Israel to hold off on building, I think, 200 new um, settlements. And of course, they're probably going to move forward with it. Um, but there is something you should know. Moshi Yalon and the Knesset uh, it against it, was against it initially. I don't know if he actually voted for it in the end, but he was against it because there was one critical piece that was taken out that was not um shared with the public, the Israeli public Netanyahu um, took out and Netanyahu denies taking it out. But there's there's Talk about that—it was about um, more arms and, and some kind of military action. I don't know what was actually in that. So. All right.
0: So the bottom line is, it kind of remains to be seen whether this agreement will play out in a positive way for Palestinians or not.
4: Right. And when you're in Palestine on the ground, and you um, you go and you, you you're on the ground as per se, a Palestinian, um, we're in the Palestinian territories when we go. And so we travel as Palestinians. I mean, it's such a, a, um, apartheid state. And, and I don't say that lightly because for example, when I was there in the end of February, right before COVID shut everything down, we had to leave early because of COVID. Um, but when I was there, we took, uh, we were on a trip from um, Bethlehem to Ramallah to see the Yasser Arafat Museum, which is incredible. If anybody wants to see it, wow, it's so powerful! Um, but we, we had to take the Palestinian route there, which meant we could not go through Jerusalem, we could not take the most direct route. So, if really. Going to Ramona or that area, mm. it may take 20, 25 minutes. For us, it took almost the course.
0: Yeah, wow. How many six so, hours? I mean, pardon? How many hours?
4: Almost three. Three hours. Under okay. three yeah.
0: hours. Yes. Wow.
4: Where it could have been a 25, 30 minute drive.
0: Yeah. Well, hey, uh, let's keep so, in touch on on uh, how this evolves, uh, Maria. We've, I got yeah, to, I've definitely. got to run to a break, and um, really appreciate you taking the time to visit with us. Uh, Folks, we've been talking with Maria Filippone about uh, kind of the launching point of this conversation with Joe Biden's comment at the forum last week regarding uh, President Trump's negotiation of an agreement with the UAE, Bahrain, and Israel. Uh, Maria, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. We'll be back in a minute, folks. Uh, Kathy Burns is going to join us. We're going to talk about food security and why you should care here on the Fallon Forum. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design build services for high-performance, no-maintenance, affordable homes and buildings. They've been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super-insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yep, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's Architecture by Synthesis.
1: Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual.
0: Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host here, folks, as we broadcast from Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks to our local business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's my grocery store. And they've got lunch and dinner available seven days a week through their takeout service. And also on the weekends, brunch. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been treating all creatures great and small for over 30 years. at Story County Veterinary Clinic. All right, welcome back to the program. With me for this segment of the show is Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees Urban Farm, and we're discussing food security. Kathy, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks. We're going to talk about food security in two ways. One, why we should all care, why you should care, why we do care, and uh, what we can do to be part of the solution.
0: Because even if you've got a meal in front of you, You should be concerned about food security. A little story. I used to have breakfast uh, on a fairly, you know, several times I had breakfast with um, John Ruan, big Republican donor, um, owned what at the time was the biggest building in downtown Des Moines. And we would sit uh, at breakfast Mm -hmm. and he would say, you have a plate of food in front of you and I have a plate of food in front of me. And it's hard to be concerned about where food comes from. But we need to be thinking about that. And he's right. We need to be thinking about that.
1: We do. I was uh, going to look up some information because I'm doing a lot more research about food security in the face of climate chaos and also pandemics. And it's hard to find... More information about food security, because what I'm finding is about food insecurity, and surely there is a lot of food insecurity and programs to address it. People who are hungry now, because Mm -hmm. they don't have access to food, they don't have income that helps them to buy good food.
0: Well, they're in a food desert.
1: They're in a food desert. And and it should be enough that we care about that. Those of us with a plate of food in front of us every day or three times a day, as is the case for us, um, we're lucky. We should care about our fellow and sister food eaters, all human beings. So that should be enough. But if it's not enough to make anybody uh, care about food security, we should all because we are all going to be facing whether or not we get that food on our plate in the near future. And some people are now because of some of these uh, extreme events happening.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's, there is there's absolutely no doubt that uh, that climate change is going to impact our food supply. I mean, it's not it's not even a question at this point. It's just a matter of severity and how the uh, various uh, impacts are going to affect local areas and what kind of capacity we're going to be able to have to uh, to kind of move food from one area to another. Mm-hmm. I mean, one great example here in the Midwest... The derecho. Mm -hmm. The derecho affected, um, I mean, you look around, you see the damage, but what you don't see are people's freezers going Mm -hmm. out, their refrigerators being shut off for a week, and them losing all that food. And
1: then they can't go to the store and buy new food because the grocery stores' refrigerators and freezers were out too. There was a local chain grocery store that unfortunately dumped hundreds of gallons of milk even worse, into yeah. a creek. <laughs> that was a bad decision and they've addressed that. That was high
0: uh, V. That was just a bad call.
1: But uh, but <laughs> d- the fact that people had to worry for a week or two about where am I going to get milk? Where am I going to get bread. Where am I going to get the food I need? Or how much uh, money did I
0: just lose buying yeah, all this food and have it right? go spoiled, you know?
1: That was very real. Mm-hmm. Floods and drought can interrupt uh, the production of food itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, blizzards, and the transportation, of transportation of it. Transportation of it. Blizzards, floods uh, can keep food from getting from the producers to the distributors to our stores. So it's all very real. Uh, with the pandemic, with the coronavirus, earlier in, uh, in the uh, start of that pandemic when people became aware that they may not be able to go out and do things there was hoarding the people yeah. who hoarded had the food and the people who didn't had, had the trouble, toilet paper had trouble getting the food <laughs> they had trouble getting food right so it we yeah. all we don't need to uh, be experiencing food insecurity right now to care about food security in the in the future so it is a global issue it's an issue for everyone and everyone can be a part of the solution. We have to reduce our carbon footprint. We have to reduce what we do to the earth to make it less likely that we'll have food in the future. Rec-
0: can, in- re- increasing our connection to local resources and to each other as well. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of power in people coming together to address uh, sustainability issues like food security at the local level.
1: Well, for the sake of simplicity, we broke it down into what we think are three steps hmm. that you can think about taking. A, a lot of people already are. We take the steps that we can, but if we can think in terms of maybe three steps that we can take or Im- improve how we take these steps, we can have an impact on food food security, and the three steps would be grow food, shop locally, and live sustainably. So growing food is something we do, and... Um, we're helping other people learn to do it at yeah. Briggs and Bees Urban Farm.
0: And certainly, uh, if you look around, you're probably probably the case with your city as well or your town as well. If you look around Des Moines, you can see all this land that uh, could be producing food. Mm-hmm. Again, some of it's in people's front or backyards, uh, some of it's um, in public spaces, but not everybody has that access. I mean, right. we one thing we see in Des Moines is more and more uh, apartment. And condominium housing being built—it's
1: kind of a boom.
0: It's a boom. Uh, a lot of it's in a flood plan. I wonder how that's going to work out. But you know, you really—if you don't have any land, this recommendation, this recommended item is probably not ideal. But again, that's where community gardens come and That's where taking those large tracts of city land come in and beginning to create—you uh, know—orchards, uh, orchards, for- orchards or food forests, berry patches. Uh, you know, I mean, those are small things, but they add up. They can make a difference. Um, right. So
1: it's possible to forage quite a bit of good food in the city. And if there were more of that, then mm. that, would, that would increase our security in the future.
0: I think you made a good point, too, about, about um, knowledge. I mean, a lot of people have forgotten how to do this stuff. or right. Some people have never known how mm-hmm. to do it. And, uh, and those of us who have some, uh, some, uh, some understanding of how to grow food you know, need to be working with those who don't on how to, how to develop, develop those skills and, and how, to, how, to, how to raise a crop that's going to work and not fail.
1: And how to make the soil uh, agreeable to having seeds planted mm. and yeah. growing the food. It can take several years to get the soil in good enough shape to produce a good crop. Yep. And so learning to do that, starting that now is crucial. Mm. Um, the second uh, the second step that everybody can, can work on taking is to shop locally. Mm. It decreases the amount of of um, transportation that you have to and from your store Mm -hmm. if you're able to walk or bike your health is improving as well but it also is an investment in your community and
0: part of it is people americans have developed a, a different approach to shopping for food than has been has been around historically i mean and i saw this when i was in europe years ago you know i mean i remember uh, after I met a friend who got off of work and we went around, we went shopping for dinner. We stopped at the cheese shop, the meat shop, the wine shop. You know, we there were all these, and they were, you actually... You, you 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 actually spend less time doing that than if you went into a huge big box the store where you walk you, you walk the length of a football field a couple. times. It's like times. a little village in those stores, but <laughs> yeah. why
1: not go go support your local stores? But yeah,
0: and these local stores owned by your neighbors, um, so you're helping their food security mm-hmm. by, by patronizing <laughs> yes. them. You know they, they live in they live in your community, um, and yeah, you can you can often when we have just a few things to buy from our local grocery store, we just kind of walk. But if we got a big haul, we'll hop on our bikes, yes. and that usually works pretty well. There are some every once in a while we've got more than we can put on a bike, but
1: every, almost all we very we, can,
0: we, can, we can make it work on by bicycle.
1: Well, the third the third thing you can do to be part of the solution live sustainably. Um, we can all improve on this. We really yeah, can. Every one of us. And <laughs> um, you know the weather got very cold for October. Uh, mid-October and yeah. we do have we do have our heat on today but usually yeah. 69 <laughs>
0: degrees one day snow on the ground the next welcome well, to the Midwest. <laughs> things, uh, you, you,
1: you can try to try to use your AC and your heat a little bit less just even even a change some any small change in that is going to make an impact. We actually have a little competition sometimes with friends about who can wait the longest <laughs> to turn on their air conditioning or use it the least in the summer who can wait the longest in the Fall or winter to turn on the heat. We
0: lost this year because of Kathy's <laughs> grandkids. <laughs> well, oh, they were cold. <laughs> well, they they were used to higher temperatures. Well, you know? and and yeah. it was and younger, it happened too, to be a so. cold day. It
1: was. Um, how about <laughs> stop using your clothes dryer or save it oh. only for when you need to dry a big blanket or sheet or something that you don't have a line to hang it on. And yeah. what's the what did you learn about six the clothes percent dryers? of
0: the uh, residential uh, carbon footprint. In the U.S. is from clothes dryers. They are very, very energy intensive. And if you could figure out how to dry on the line outside mm. during nice weather, or on a drying rack indoors, indoors you also create some much needed humidity in the uh, colder months. So
1: Okay. Yeah. So food security, it's it's everyone's issue. Three things you can do to be part of the solution: grow food, shop locally, live sustainably.
0: All right, there you have it. Hey, thanks for joining us, uh, Kathy, and thanks uh, to our audience for joining us today. Again, you can always check out the program on radio stations in Iowa, uh, KHOI 89.1 FM in Ames, and also KICI in Iowa City. We are also rebroadcast on stations around the country. And, of course, you can also check out the podcast at FallonForum.com. Thanks to our production team, Kathy Burns and Sherry Herdina, back next week, folks, on the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon, your host.